We interrupt this program to bring you a special report. Hello and welcome to The Interruption, the Global Institute for Tomorrow podcast. The Global Institute for Tomorrow, or GIFT, is a pan-Asian think tank that specializes in thought leadership across Asia. Today, we have Chandran Nair, GIFT's CEO and founder, to introduce The Interruption and discuss the concept of sustainability as more than a business buzzword. So, Chandran, this is the inaugural episode of The Interruption. What inspired you to create it? Well, uh, I've been thinking about this for a while, particularly prompted by uh, the numerous people I meet who say that, uh, who've urged me to communicate to a much broader audience, particularly in this part of the world, uh, the younger audience, about some of the things that I've been talking about, uh, much of which, um, if one might say, is not part of the mainstream narrative. And uh, I feel very strongly that uh, the mainstream narrative is essentially something that ought to be challenged, and particularly to get younger people in this part of the world to think more expansively about the region they live in, the challenges they face, and not be seduced by what they hear on Bloomberg TV or CNN, or what uh, they listen, what they buy in the airport uh, uh, bookshops about how the world looks like which typically can be distilled to something about digitization, something about artificial intelligence, and everyone being an entrepreneur, but okay. to expand the conversation. Yeah, sure. All right. So can you give us an example, then, of what you consider mainstream narrative and how you push it away from that thought? Well, for instance, uh, if you look at uh, this part of the world again, um, I have the opportunity and privilege sometimes to be invited to uh, forums like the World Economic Forum, uh, very other forums, etc. And I am struck by how uh, the, the approach to what these forums are about, which is uh, facing the challenges of the region, are not conversations that we have originated from this region. They usually come from business schools in the West, um, they come from the think tanks in the West, they come from the agendas of multinational companies, and a specific one is this sort of dissemination of this idea, which very few people really actually probably understand, but it's become another slogan. And I think it's something called the fourth industrial revolution. It's become a buzzword. And so challenging that mainstream discussion is not to, not to argue against progress or technological advancement, but to actually say, but what levels of technology or industrial engagement do we have in this region? So I've written a piece uh, recently uh, for the World Economic Forum and one that I hope is going to be published uh, in the next few weeks about uh, deconstructing this, this idea. And my, uh, my, my argument is very simply, whilst elites and, uh, can talk about this, uh, they need to be extremely conscious of the influence it has on essentially the next generation, who then get onto this idea that somehow progress is defined through the adoption of ideas about technology and its influence in the region um, through the lens of you know, mythical places like Silicon Valley. And um, I argue, for instance, that uh, uh, most parts of this region, and particularly to get young people to think more deeply about this, that most parts of this region are so far removed from the idea of the fourth industrial revolution. Uh, it's good for banks to talk about it, and uh, 
companies making cars that talk about big data and innovation. But the reality is that um, the vast majority of uh, people in this region live in uh, somewhere between the first industrial revolution and somewhere between the first and the second industrial revolution. So I can take you to you know, one hour away from, uh, from where we're sitting now here in the center of KL to places that are very reminiscent of the second industrial revolution at best. So we have many parts of the region, if you go further away, which are essentially um, uh, first industrial revolution on an in, or even pre-industrial revolution on an industrial scale. So let's be very, very careful about uh, overhyping uh, buzzwords and terminologies and not dealing with the basics. For instance, let's just even take a city like Kuala Lumpur, which at the superficial level looks extremely modern. But, uh, you know, most schools in this, uh, most schools in, in KL don't have proper sanitation facilities. Then I can expand that to households. Uh, then you go beyond Kuala Lumpur and you go 100 miles away and then you go 200 and then you go into the islands of Indonesia. Uh, we don't have the most basic self uh, technolo technological intervention. So when I think of entrepreneurship, which is again another thing that is uh, spoken about so loosely, the idea that everyone can be an entrepreneur is a lie. Uh, there's no harm in not being an entrepreneur, just being a hard working mason or a plumber. Uh, when we talk about that, we forget that technolo technology should not be distilled to something to do with dig digitization mm, only. Mm. So the most important technology, I would argue, we'd probably need in this part of the world would start with the toilet. Sanitation facilities that essentially provide dignity and remove people from the drudgery of living in conditions that are both unsanitary uh, undignified and uh, create a huge host of other problems. Technology would include providing proper water supply systems and wastewater treatment, uh, which essentially create that sort of dignity. Um, technology that provides basic homes that essentially um, uh, can bear the, 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 what is going to happen in this region, which is the changing climate. So that's kind of where the mainstream discussion needs to be, be challenged. Uh, one is not saying we don't need all of those other things, but it's an oversimplification to live in urban areas and live in ghettos of elites who go to the business schools, etc., and then take this argument and try and spread it and then distort uh, and create expectations that cannot be fulfilled. And I think you know, we can talk later about the role of education in mm. this country and the false premise that everyone can be an entrepreneur, an IT geek, or a doctor, or a lawyer. Uh, who's going to grow the food? Who's going to fix the buildings? Who's going to maintain other things? Who's going to write some books? Yeah. Uh, those are just as important things that we should have the next generation thinking about. Great. And so these are ideas that go against the status quo. They go against, like you say, ideas from the business school. So how do you go about spreading your influence and your ideas about these topics? By speaking about it on podcasts like this. Correct uh, answer, everyone. <laughs> uh, by writing about it and being in a way, and I don't want to put myself on a pedestal, but to be bold enough to challenge it. And so my, my uh, intention in doing this is to not to you know, be famous, it's to essentially get, uh, hopefully, 
um, as we do more of this, um, you know, a thousand young people who will have, you know, the battery switched on when they hear this and say, hmm, that makes sense. And then start to create their own narrative. Uh, the, the point of something like this is to essentially trigger uh, uh, a thought process because the dumbing down is relentless. The, the, the mm. mainstream uh, discussion. And there's, there's essentially a, a struggle, a struggle for ideas. And I am convinced, uh, because out of experience, that when the younger generation listen to this non-mainstream idea, uh, they will understand uh, the validity of what I'm saying. Why? Because I've done this many times. I've been to, uh, I've been to large audiences and schools and students in Indonesia, in China, in India, in Hong Kong. And when someone like me speaks, and I hope there'll be many others, they get excited because it's not the same down, the same dumbed down conversation of uh, business school professors, etc. And they all turn up because they'll be they 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 have been seduced into believing that they'll they'll receive some pearl of wisdom, and they'll become the next Jack Ma or something like this. Uh, and of course, these things don't happen this way. But the but even worse is not allowing others to think about solving some of the more basic problems uh, through ideas and endeavor that are probably more purposeful. And that is important. And so I've spoken on many of these issues and I've actually been surprised, but also uh, you know, encouraged by the reaction. Uh, what I want to do is speak more about this to a large young audience, but I can be traveling to cities everywhere and having a thousand people. Uh, I joke sometimes when professors ask me to come and speak, and I say if, if it's four, if 500 people, I turn up. 499, I'm not there. <laughs> Meaning, get me a large group. Uh, not because I think I'm important, but one needs to influence. Yeah. And part of the problem in many of the academic institutions, etc., is students are so busy running around, uh, not studying, but passing exams. So they don't have time. And they're not interested in conversations that lead them down uh, alternative avenues of, of thinking, yeah. etc. And so I'm hoping through this uh, that just maybe we might reach a half a million young people and others over the next year. Fantastic. Well, we can hope that we can actually reach the audience that you want with this podcast, Chandran. But moving on into the separate second question now about sustainability. Now, you've been a champion of sustainability for over 20 years. So what does sustainability actually mean to you? Well, let me start by uh, talking about what most people confuse sustainability with. Most people think of environmental protection as sustainability. So my new book uh, called The Sustainable State, I refer to what sustainability is and what environmental uh, protection is. So let's take, for example, um, the, one, of the, one of the biggest industries in, uh, in this part of the region, and let's take the palm oil industry, for instance. So there's a lot of words about sustainability, environmental protection, etc. There is an over, a area of overlap between sustainability and, uh, and, uh, and environmental protection. But if you take the palm oil industry, um, 
One of the one of the most uh, there are three dimensions of the the palm oil industry that raises concerns. Let me say at the outset, I'm not against the palm oil industry. The question is, what does a responsible palm oil industry look like? There's one view that uh, there is no such thing as a responsible palm oil industry because it's rapacious by by design. Uh, but let's leave that aside and just sure. look at what the palm oil industry is. There's three areas typically. One is essentially the creation of part of the palm oil industry and its expansion results in the destruction of rainforests and therefore biodiversity and all of those. That is a sustainability issue. Yeah, we've all heard about Fonterra and the orangutans, right? Yeah, so that is a sustainability issue. And when it comes to that element of sustainability, you can't ask palm oil companies to be sustainable in terms of rainforest destruction. Uh, you can only hope and expect and demand the state to essentially say, you cannot expand beyond these borders, etc. And then, um, in that way, push the palm oil industry to be more productive, if, given that growth is the mantra for all industries. Mm. But growth cannot be achieved through more rainforest destruction. Okay? That will not, that sustainability cannot be put in the hands of palm oil companies. They don't do that. It's like asking Pizza Hut to sell less pizzas. Pizza Hut will not <laughs> sell less pizzas. That is not their job. Nor is it McDonald's job to sell less McDonald's. But you can price, uh, price the externalities of consuming junk food that Pizza Hut and McDonald's will have to do certain things to do that. So that uh, uh, intrusion in the rainforest is one of the key kind of uh, issues yeah. of palm oil. That's a sustainability issue. Then there's the other issue of, of the palm oil industry, which is the the conversion of palm oil into the various uh, into its core material, which is done at the mills, etc. And with that, we have emissions, and we are both air and water. That's a pollution control issue. But of course, if you expand the palm oil industry more, you'll get more pollution. So there's a link to sustainability. But at its at at, at site, it is essentially controlling uh, emissions. That's an environmental protection issue. There too, uh, you know, one hopes that good palm oil oil companies would uh, meet the laws and standards that have been set in Malaysia. It's pretty good high laws mm. and standards. Then enforcement is a problem. It's an open secret that enforcement is is weak, and therefore, apart from perhaps the big invest, and I hope that's true, uh, the laws are broken every day of the week. Uh, this is uh, go to any rural area, and you will see. So that's the environmental, the environmental side of that. And then the third element of of it, and in fact, there's a fourth element which I could cover. To the fourth, the third element of it is the labor issues in relation to essentially uh, an industry that is very dependent on cheap labor. So uh, in Malaysia, much of that labor is important. Uh, does the industry essentially meet the basic rights? And I don't even want to talk about the UN human rights uh, standards for corporations, etc. But do they meet the basic human rights? Uh, anyone who is a keen observer would say, there is mass infringement of those basic mm. rights. Uh, the conditions in which people live, the rights there, the health and safety regulations that they have, uh, uh, they work under, 
and of course then wages etc yeah, so that's, yeah. that's the uh, that's the third element and then then linked to the other element is of course the um, and actually it's important I shouldn't dismiss it as a fringe issue it's essentially the per, the permeation of uh, uh, of palm oil into essentially almost everything a lot of things that we consume I think there's one crude statistic that says that 50% of everything in a supermarket has some kind of palm wow. oil, which has a social cost. Yeah. Is that just social cost? So then who regulates what sort of products can have how much palm oil, etc.? Yeah. That is not the job of palm oil companies who claim to be sustainable. That is not their job. They wouldn't do that. Palm oil companies that claim to be sustainable would, ideally, meet all the environmental regulations and all the labor conditions, pay their taxes, etc. Um, it is yet to be clear the transparency, how much they do it, but let's hope that they do it. The sustainability one is the rainforest protection, etc. Some of the companies claim that they are doing it, and I don't think that should be a badge of honor. That's essentially an obligation to society right, yeah. that they have, and the rules and the laws of engagement and then, of course, in terms of how the product, the palm, permeates and gets into all the, the different products that we have, there are major health issues. It is no secret that uh, obesity levels in Malaysia are directly linked to overconsumption of basically um, oil-based foods, of which palm oil is a major contributor. So that's the, the difference between sustainability and environment. Right. And in this part of the world, um, we have an obligation now to figure out, as the population increases, how do we essentially navigate the next 30, 40 years? Well, on one, one hand, we want prosperity. On the other hand, we have a need, plus an obligation, to essentially protect the resource base, both, both current and future gener yeah. generations. My argument is, and I think I'm, this is the again the non-mainstream, the mainstream discussion that people going to young people going to universities etc. learn is there's a bit of pollution pollution control. You all must do this, but essentially you must continue to seek growth at any cost. And then the the worst part of this education is the business education, which essentially does not address the issue of how do we grow, at what price, and what is the price of consumption, yeah. right? So what is the true price of the burger if you price in the palm oil and the externalities, which is an economic term that I'm happy to expand on? Our education systems do not ever prepare, uh, and this is not just in Asia, throughout the world, but the education systems do not prepare the young generation to understand the complexities of the interrelationship between how goods and services are provided and the starting point, which is how do we use uh, materials to provide the mm. goods and services. So throughout the supply chain, there are costs. And education systems need to essentially educate the young people to understand where those costs are, how they are felt in society, where are the benefits, because there are benefits, where the externalities needs to be managed, what are the implications. And then there is, of course, an ethical dimension to how do you essentially grow 
uh, in a sustainable manner, both from an environmental point of view, but also the obligations of society. Yeah, sure. So if I can paraphrase you there, sustainability isn't just about the environment. No. You've touched on politics, you've touched on sustainable consumption, the economics base, and you've even touched on human rights and, and labor yes. use. So from what you've also said about education, sustainability isn't even being taught in the right way. No. And it's often seen as a business buzzword, right? In corporations, it's the academic institutions who teach sustainability, including some of the leading ones like Cambridge, etc. I mean, it's all catering to business, business yeah. objective. Business is not bad, but as I say in my book, businesses don't do sustainability, as I gave you the palm oil example. Businesses do environmental protection, and they do environmental protection typically under duress, the duress of regulation. They comply. In our part of the world, we, many of the businesses don't even comply with the laws. So even when it comes to environmental protection, we have so much, uh, so a vast majority of companies that don't comply. Then there is sustainability, which is the next hurdle, which is essentially rules created by the state, right? But teaching in the academic institutions in the world is very poor on this. You can go to the Stanford's, the Cambridges, they're always still about business and sustainability, which is an oxymoron. That doesn't mean businesses are bad. But the heart of this uh, sustainability is the notion of less. Businesses don't do less, they do more. Great. Thank you very much, Chanjan. That's all we have time today. So, if you're interested in the future sustainability, check out our content on the GIFT website. That's www.global-inst.com. We return you now to your regularly scheduled program. Oh, shit.